Today's edition of the podcast is brought to you by CoachMe Plus. CoachMe Plus is the leader in athlete management software and a product that I've been lucky enough to be using for a little over a year now. Only rivaled by the impeccable customer service that Kevin and his staff provides, CoachMe Plus's ability to constantly be amoeba-like in their ability to mold and, and matriculate what you're trying to get across and bring together is, is absolutely fantastic. Their constant pursuit of better ways and better methods and, and innovations and progress to their own product is absolutely fantastic. Go over to CoachMePlus.com, check out what they got, guys. It's, uh, it's something that I guarantee you won't be disappointed with. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. Today, guys, I get to sit down and talk with the University of Colorado at Colorado Springs, Dr. Jay Dawes. Jay's an assistant professor of strength and conditioning and the coordinator of athletic performance services at UCCS. Uh, in, in the talk, guys, we start out with a brief rundown of his career, talking about you know where he's been, how he's gotten to Colorado, Colorado Springs, and then we get into the, master, uh, the master's program and how it's set up out there in Colorado Springs. Uh, we then get in talking about how his work in the tactical realm uh, when he was back in Corpus Christi uh, has impacted how he works with the student-athletes, uh, you know, and how that also impacts his decision-making strategies and, and a bunch of other things when it comes to working with the student-athletes out there at Colorado, Colorado Springs. He then talks about building resilience with the tactical athlete and how he looks at, uh, at them from hired to retired, which I thought was a really cool uh, breakdown of, of how he looked at training these these athletes. Uh, next, he's going to discuss ways to get the athletes to take more ownership in the weight room by running the room themselves. And then we get into you know some stuff about common pieces of technology and how that can assist in learning. Uh, and then, guys, the last thing we talk about is his publications that he's got. He's got a few books that you guys are going to be able to find in the comments uh, in the description below. This is a really awesome talk, guys. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. Let's get right to it. Jay, thanks for being on with us today. Thanks, Jay. Appreciate it, man. Looking forward to it. Yeah. So, hey, listen, let, let's start out so people can, can learn a little bit about you. Let's, let's talk about the Jay Dawes story. Let's talk about how you got to where you are today. All right, man. Um, I'll give you the Reader's Digest version because, you know, as most of us, it's probably a long story. But, uh, you know, when I was a uh, kid, I was a exceptionally average athlete. So uh, that kind of got my interest heightened in strength conditioning to try and improve myself. Um, was really fortunate. Got to play a couple years of college ball, a few small universities in Oklahoma, uh, baseball, and uh, did that. I uh, got injured my sophomore year. And when that happened, I realized that, you know what, I had as much of an enthusiasm for the strength conditioning aspects and getting prepared for the season as I actually did playing. So it, it, made, it went into a real nice transition uh, into the strength conditioning field. So... Uh, you know, from there, I was actually uh, at the same university that I, I played at. I was a uh, assistant softball coach and uh, strength conditioning coach for the entire university, um, which was kind of a dubious honor because they gave me kind of a dual role where I was uh, the, the head strength conditioning coach, but also the director of physical fitness, which basically meant anybody who came in who just wanted a tight tummy and tushy got a workout from me as well. So, um, but hey, I did what I did to be able to get a job. So it was, it was good. But, uh, you know, went on to grad school, went to Oklahoma State, uh, did uh, two years there. Uh, while I was there, I worked as a post-rehab uh, exercise specialist at a uh, medical center. And uh, upon leaving Oklahoma State, um, actually opened up my own training facility in the Oklahoma City area. So 
Uh, started out in a small 1,200 square foot space, and uh, by the time we were done, uh, ended up in a 6,300 square foot space. So, real, real nice transition. Got to work with a lot of uh, high school collegiate athletes, uh, a couple of Paralympians, and, and things of that nature. Uh, from there, transitioned to uh, Colorado, and uh, actually took a job as the education director for the National Strength and Conditioning Association for about three and a half years. And uh, so during, during that process, finished up my PhD, uh, spent a little bit of time down in Texas A&M Corpus Christi, uh, where I uh, did a little bit of coaching there, a little bit more on the private side, but really got involved with the uh, tactical strength conditioning uh, aspect. So worked with the uh, Corpus Christi Police Department down there, uh, helped them develop uh, programs for not only their incumbent officers, SWAT team, bomb team, uh, but also with their police academy as well. And uh, so, like again, spent three years down there, and uh, now I am at uh, University of Colorado, Colorado Springs. And uh, my full-time gig here is I'm an assistant professor of strength and conditioning, uh, so teach predominantly in our master's of strength conditioning program. Uh, but I'm also the coordinator for athletic performance for the university. So me and five other GAs basically coordinate uh, all the strength conditioning programs for all our intercollegiate sports. So that's that's the shortened version, but that's... Uh, yeah, kind of a muddled experience, but been a big, been a good ride. <laughs> yeah, no, um, it's crazy. I got my start after I got hurt working with a softball team and, and helping coach too. That's kind of crazy that the you right. know two J's on the other end of Skype both started kind of in the same path here. But the the program you guys have there that sounds like an interesting little setup. So you're running the masters program for right. strength and conditioning which more and more are popping up, but it's, it's exciting to hear that you guys have that specific field of study. But your yeah. students are working for you as coaches as well. Yeah, correct. So you know, we, we have kind of a unique program. You know, when, when they come in uh, to us, I mean, more or less, I, I teach them like they're going to be future colleagues, which that's kind of my hope is that they will be. Um, so, you know, we, you know, I predominantly, I have two courses that uh, I teach in the program. So advanced exercise science and advanced strength conditioning. And what we do in those classes is we really focus on the practical applied. So, you know, we allow them to you know, work with the athletes. They, they get to do a little bit of coaching, uh, do a lot of testing and analysis and, uh, you know, making sure that they're getting the hands on experience that they need to be successful. You know, that's that's the one thing that I've been very adamant about. I was like, I don't want to turn kids out of our program and say, hey, I can't vouch for them as a coach when they leave here. So, you know, we've been in a very fortunate position in that regard. Um, my colleague here, uh, Dr. Craig Elder. He actually, he handles most of the uh, administrative stuff that I, I really don't like doing. And I get to do the fun stuff, which is, you know, the hands-on strength conditioning and, and, you know, really helping the kids out and, you know, trying to get them that hands-on experience. So, That's awesome. Now, before you came there, you said you were doing the work with the tactical guys down there in Corpus Christi, Texas. Yeah. So how, yeah. since that's kind of like a, I mean, the clinic was this weekend. Um, how, and it's kind of become like a sexy topic. <laughs> the, the the tactical athlete, which I think is an interesting term because all sports are tactical, right? Um, but they're different. How, oh, absolutely. How has that impacted how you look at the student athletes that you work with now in Colorado? Oh man, you know I think realistically, I think the thing that really got um, that that was reemphasized when I started working with the police groups is, you know, we have people here that we're asking to do things that are high level, high stress. Um, you have to do athletic things, even though you're not functioning in the space of, you know, athletics. Um, but the thing that, that became readily apparent is we're asking to do all those things, but a lot of times we don't even have healthy and well people. So, 
you know, first and foremost is really going back in. It's like, okay, how do we develop a good base of health, fitness, wellness, so we can build a platform for performance? And I think that really has, um, you know, made me think twice about how we approach our student athletes. Because, you know, you think, you know, they're 18 to 22 years old and, you know, for the most part, relatively healthy. But, you know, you look how kids are, you know, the, the, the expectations that they have now as far as, you know, what they're expected to do in school and, you know, all the academic stress and pressure and, and things of that nature, they're getting hit from a lot of different angles. So, you know, the amount of stress that they get, you know, it makes them not really have the best platform for, you know, wellness, which, again, is going to impede their performance downrange. So, you know, we really try and help them manage things like lifestyle-wise now and really make, help them make better decisions. And, you know, again, they're 18 to 22, so they're, they're going to mess up a little bit. But the goal is like, okay, just don't mess up too bad. And if you do, here's some steps that you can take to get yourself back on track and, and kind of correct that a little bit. That's awesome. So what are some strategies that you took in that realm from Corpus Christi or even things that, at Corpus Christi that helped build those things that you've had success with with the student-athletes in Colorado? Right. You know, I mean, I think one of the biggest things now is probably – and it's – you know, been a hot topic for probably the last couple of years, but sleep, you know, sleep and recovery are some of the biggest issues that we have. You know, they're, they're doing the right things in the weight room, but when they're outside of that, you know, the weight room, they're not doing things that are going to be optimal to get themselves ready for the next workout and, and to repair their bodies. And, and the funny thing is that, you know, a lot of the uh, law enforcement groups that I've worked with, it's the same scenario. You know, they get hand, you know, hammered with a lot of other things like, you know, shift work and variable schedules and, you know, having to pull overtime. Um, there was one guy that I worked with. He was a SWAT unit guy, and uh, he said, "Yeah, he goes, you know, I get in about two p or two a.m. every morning. I uh, sit down, I have a beer, I eat, watch some TV. Uh, whenever I spill the second beer on myself, I realize I've fallen asleep and it's time to go to bed." <laughs> I'm like, dude, like, <laughs> you know, and this guy was in his fifties and he was still hanging really, really well. But I'm like, you know, man, you're you're kind of a unicorn here. Like that doesn't happen a whole lot, and the lifestyle that you're leading isn't isn't real conducive and you know sure enough you know he again he was there for every 6 a.m workout i mean the guy was just tremendous um and actually found out later he worked with uh, coach mike bergner at one time in high school so i'm like oh that actually makes a little bit of sense as far as the grit <laughs> yeah. but uh you know he ended up pulling a hamstring and you know so we had to kind of back him off and you know make sure that he was doing things as far as a recovery standpoint to you know, get himself back ready to go again. Cause, and, and, you know, I think that's one of the things a lot of times with those groups is, you know, sometimes, you know, we'll have little tweaks and injuries that happen in, uh, you know, in the training sessions and stuff like that. And, you know, there's uh, one fellow, he was doing a 300 meter run as part of their testing battery. And he ended up coming up, pulled a hamstring and, uh, you know, he's in his late forties. So, you know, it was, you, know, you can't prevent everything, but, you know, it's one of the things I was kind of beating myself up and going, man, could we have done anything better? Is there anything different I could have done? And, you know, I kept coming up with, you know, I really feel like we did the right things. And after talking to him, he's like, dude, you know what? I'm just getting older. It's hard to recover. And honestly, I'd rather it happen here than out when we're out on an operation. I'm like, it's a fair point. So, you know, but it's it's a lot of times it's like, you know, when they do get those injuries and when they do get off track, it's like, okay, how can we get you back um, to training and training hard as quick as we can? Oh, yeah, no doubt. And I think that that's a pretty neat parallel because, again, like that is such like a, a newer aspect for the field that's like it is it's like a sexy hot spot right now oh yeah absolutely well and, you know, and the thing about it is that, you know, years back you know when, when we were at the nsa the tactical athlete term kind of got got coined and you know we felt like at that point that was a really good 
definition and a way of explaining that, okay, there, here's people who have to do similar things to high-level athletes, but the field of competition is very, very different. Retrospectively, I don't know that we would have named it that, but, you know, it, it's one of those things, I, I guess it's kind of like, you know, core training or functional training, like it's stuck now. Right. So it is what it is. So I think the, one of the big things that we're kind of responsible for now is really contextualizing that and saying that, hey, even though we ask these people to do athletic things, a lot of them are not truly very athletic so some of them we really have to develop their athleticism because some of them never have been involved in, in sport before you know and it's, I mean, it's really funny I, i've told people this story before we had one training academy we had one person literally jump 36 inches and another one jumped three same academy and if i hadn't seen it i wouldn't have believed it on either side of that continuum but and, and the guy that really jumped, jumped three inches literally three inches yeah now the funny thing is the guy that jumped 36 he actually could only jump about 30 clean because if he was jumping 36, he couldn't land. And I'm like, bro, gravity always will beat you. Yeah. <laughs> so it was just, it was like the old Police Academy movies, Tackleberry. That's what it was like. It was just 100% force and like no governor turned on. I'm like, dude, that's great that you got that kind of power, but you got to control it because that doesn't do us any good. And like, and he was still a very good athlete, but I'm like, wow, that was, that was interesting. Yeah. You know, and I think too that, with all the cheesy cliches that go on in high-level sport, like whether you're talking like Andy Zaleskines was a guest about a month ago, and he works with uh, Marine Special Forces, and you know you worked with the police guys and the the academy down there. Like it really is life and death, absolutely. Like with them, and that's where like we make these awful off comparisons when it comes to sport, but like. No, like, if that guy, like, popped his hammy when he was chasing a drug dealer, like, he, he could have got shot. Yeah. Like, that's, yeah, no, that's freaky. Yeah. Well, and I think that's the thing is that, you know, really what we're trying to do is, you know, make them more athletic individuals, but really build resilience. You know, so that's, the, you know, that's the thing we're really trying to emphasize. Like, you know, it's not that you're a good officer now or five years from now, but what about 10, 15 years from now? And, you know, downstream, like, how do we... Basically, how do we take care of you from, from hire to retire? You know, what can we do in that time frame to make sure that you're going to be as occupationally sound as possible and reduce and minimize that risk? And, you know, and unfortunately, you can't, you can't stop everything. Mm-hmm. I mean, unfortunately, you can't outrun a bullet. You can't, you know, you get put in situations, unfortunately, sometimes that are not ideal. But again, my, the, the take that I get is like, okay, how can I give you every opportunity for success when you get faced with that situation that's not an ideal place to be? Oh, no doubt. So then taking a step back with that, because you're dealing with people that are probably not that far off age-wise when they come into the academy versus when they show up as right. an 18-year-old freshman. How is that different now when you're looking at you know, the program that you built with the academy and preparing those young men and women for defending us right. versus how you're, de- you know, working with a women's soccer player who's defending a goal. Right. You know, sh- shockingly not as different as you would think. Um, <laughs> you know, if you look at, the, if you look at the core tenets of the programming, it's going to be pretty consistent, you know? So how can we help develop, you know, rapid force production, you know, decelerate in a controlled manner to make sure that you're able to, uh, you know, reaccelerate or, you know, again, land in a biomechanically proficient position. 
Um, you know, and, and one of the things that we kind of talked about is like, you know, learning how to do the right things from the wrong positions. So when you get out of sorts and when you're not in a good biomechanical position, how can we get you back into it quicker? Um, you know, so a lot of what we do with them is, you know, teach them the same foundation, the same fundamentals that we teach with our, you know, athletes. So we almost, it's really kind of interesting, like when you said, you know, the 18 to 22 year old space, like normally, you know, youngest one's going to be 21 because before that there's certain places, you know, if you're not 21, you can't get into. So you, you can't be a cop unless that's, you know, allowed. But, you know, we'll have people range anywhere from 21 to roughly 40 years old in, in the training academy. So you get a pretty diverse spread across the group and you know I, I just hit 40 this year and uh, that's what I joke about I said, man I can do everything I used to do when I was 20 it just hurts a lot more takes a lot longer to recover from it <laughs> you know so a lot of it is you know trying to manage all that I was like how can we still have you do you know as a 35 to 40 year old male or female how can we have you doing the same things that I'd expect a collegiate athlete to do and you know not get injured and be more you know skillful and you know I think one of the big things is you know being really um cognizant of your progressions, regressions, and, and things of that nature. And I think one of the other major things we do, similar to our athletes, is really try and set up the foundation for, you know, a, a lifetime of, of health and fitness. So, you know, as we're doing every single exercise, I probably go above and beyond to really explain to them why we're doing what we're doing, and, and probably to the point where it's overkill. But I really want them to buy into why we're doing the different exercises and how that's going to translate to what they have to do on the field, whether it be, you know, in, in an occupational setting or whether it be in an athletic setting. And I, I think that's been really helpful in the past because one of the things that we really try and set up is kind of a uh, peer coaching system. You know, because a lot of times when I'm in there working with them, it's me and potentially another grad student if I'm fortunate enough to have somebody in during that time frame. But, you know, my, my take on it is like, hey, if I can get, you know, 20 additional coaches in the room, you know, and you guys know what you're looking for and understand what you're looking at, then when I'm not around or, you know, when you guys are doing this on your own, you're going to have that eye for it and you're going to be able to help coach them up and, and make sure they're doing it right. And, you know, in a lot of cases, you know, similar to us, like, you know, we start out in sports. So I have, you know, the hopes that a lot of these young men and women are going to end up doing what we do, you know? So I sure still don't want them to do a program someday and go, you know, somebody asked me, well, why are you doing that? And they said, oh, that's what Jay had us do. You know, I need them to understand why they're doing it and you'll really, really have that buy-in for it. Yeah, no, and I love the, the bringing up the whole having the kids basically coach the room because that's something that I legitimately, like when I was walking down here from a meeting with a head coach, like that's one of the things I brought up to him that we're starting to see again, you know, that it wasn't just a fluke. But what are some things and some ways that you've had success building that ownership with your student athletes inside the weight room? You know, I think some way, I mean, I, I'm pretty particular about technique and form, but on the flip side of that is giving them enough room to screw up so they can figure it out. You know, so it's that fine line and that fine balance of, you know, letting them have enough wiggle room to kind of solve that motoric problem. So, you know, if you're not doing it quite clean mm -hmm. is, you know, asking the, okay, how did that feel? And, you know, good or bad is not good enough. Like if it felt good, why did it feel good? If it felt bad, why did it feel bad? What do you need to work on? I can get better at it. Once they start showing me that they've demonstrated proficiency and they're responding in the right way, a lot of times when they've mastered, I'm like, hey, you know, I need you to take care of, you know, Emily over here. You know, and, you know, with your, you know, your, your jerks are spot on. Watch her. Notice what she's doing. What, what do you see? Oh, you know, she's not pressing overhead. It's out here. Or, you know, she's not being explosive on the, the drive. I'm like, good. Okay. I need you to watch her and, and stay with her while she does it and make sure she's doing it right. 
So it's really a, a lot of it is building up the confidence with them so they, one, can start identifying things, two, empowering them to be able to, to voice that and, mm-hmm. you, know, and you know, coach their peers. But again, I think the biggest thing is just giving them the confidence that they actually know what they're doing. No, yeah, I, and I couldn't agree more. And I think more and more, like, with this generation, like, all of these things come back to, like, they're so awful word for this they're so self-centered like <laughs> yeah. because of these you yeah. know because like like we used to have like you know those kodak cameras that you you the disposables where you'd have no idea what the picture looked like for like 96 hours after you turned it into your your walgreens or whatever but they can change the filter and they can do all these things and they're so used to being able to to make the world see what they want the world to see that I think, like, the more we can instill, like, actual real-world confidence, if that makes sense. Sure, absolutely. Into them in the weight room. I think that that might be, like, like the next, like, gosh. And, and I know Natalia Verkashansky, so this is going to she's going to be so mad that I say this. But, like, that might be, like, the next special exercise. Yeah. Because that might be, like, the next thing that really carries over is, like, them actually believing that they're better. Right. Well, I think, you know, kind of like you said, it's, um, you know, it's easy to get sucked into those things, man. You know, and the technology, it's, it's a mixed blessing because I mean, we actually utilize it a lot in the training room. So, you know, a lot of times if a girl's or a, you know, guys not doing a technique quite the way we want, I'll say, Hey, go grab your phone for me. And I'm going to put it on slow-mo. I'll film them and say, Hey, take a look at that. What do you see? You know, so they can start analyzing themselves and, you know, it's really cool because a lot of times you'll start to see them going through the actions, you know? So if, if we talk about like arm action during apply metric, like as they're watching it, you'll see them kind of go like this. So you, you under, you can see that they're making that connection. So in that respect, you know, it, when I look back where we were 20 years ago, where we are now, as far as the technology available, it's, it's fantastic. The things we can do when it is, but that's the things like keeping it from becoming a distraction becomes, you know, one of the issues. So, you know, it, it, you know, obviously when we're in the weight room, like, you know, put the phones away, do not utilize them unless you are told to get them specifically by me. Um, I think like you had mentioned before is that peer interaction it is another thing is like a lot of times we, we spend a lot of time alone together now, you know? So if you go to a restaurant, you know, how many times do you see like two people sitting together having lunch together, but they're not really having lunch. Yeah. They're doing this number. Yeah, so it's one of those things where, you know, forcing them to interact and forcing them to have to communicate with one another and figure out the best ways to do that is something that, you know, I really feel like, you know, now as a coach, we've got to start integrating that whole social um, aspect into our, you know, our training as well. Because, you know, bottom line is like when they're on the field, they can't text somebody a message. Yeah. But you got to be able to communicate there. you got to be able to do it effectively. And you got to find, you know. What's the best way to communicate to this individual in order to, you know, have your message resonate with them versus, you know, they shut down or they get ticked off. And, you know, it's it's an interesting challenge. And, you know, it's it's like I said, I'm I'm very much a fan of embracing the technology, but figuring out how to make it actually make our lives better and not detract is is a big challenge right now. No. Yeah. One hundred percent. And I. That's actually neat that you. Because with the other part, with that phone thing, when they use their phone, is now they're in possession of the video. Correct. 
So well, also as a strength coach, especially a male strength coach, I always feel like it's a better look for the athletes to have their pictures on their phones and me not have them on there. Oh, <laughs> Just because I, I don't want to come off like a creepy old guy. So, oh. <laughs> good call. But no, but like, I mean, everybody pans through those things, and then all of a sudden, it's going to show up, and they're going to be like, "Oh, well." I mean, or they're just going to hit the trash button. But, I mean, it's like you'd hope that they might look at it again. Well, and that's a lot of times that's what we'll do is I'll tell them, like, save it. Because whenever you do this, right, I'm like, hey, I want to film you again, and now I want you to do a comparison. So look at the two. See how they look different. See, you know, how did it feel? How did it feel different? You know, and I think in that regard, you know, a lot of us, you know, it, it helps appeal to that visual learner. You know, so, you, you know, we talk about the visual auditory kinesthetic, like that person, that's that visual learner. It, it just, it teaches them so much more. Cause I know from my perspective, you know, from playing baseball, you know, a, in a whole nother life ago, you know, when I would watch myself, you know, at bat and things like that, you know, we would actually have the old school video cameras up and I would film myself. I'd go home, break it down, analyze it. And at that point, you know, a lot of it, I was in high school, so I really didn't know what I was doing. All I knew is like, okay, when Tony Gwynn hits the ball, he's right here, and I'm right here. So maybe I could be better if I looked like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, so that's what, that's what I was joking about. I was like, in high school, I was not the best student, but I was more focused with doing OJT for what I'm actually doing now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think that it, it has a really big impact when they can actually go in and physically break it down and understand it better. Plus, you know, as we said before, like most of these young men and women are going to end up coaching in some capacity at some point in their life, even. You know, even if it's not at like a collegiate or high school level, you know, a lot of them are going to be, you know, working with their, you know, their kids, the, you know, the, you know, little leagues and things of that nature. And I think, you know, one of the big issues we have right now is, you know, we got a lot of really well-intentioned parents who go out and try and teach kids, but they don't really fully understand, you know, what is, you know, the, the best way to coach, especially at the developmental level they're at, and then, you know, how to set the stage for, you know, long-term athletes. Uh, you know, it's it's kind of an interesting dynamic, you know, with, you know, uh, the, the people who have the most skills in coaching are at the top. And, you know, in a lot of ways, the people that need the most are ones at the bottom so they can really develop that good foundation and skill set for the for the young ones. Oh, no doubt about it. And it's it, it's really it's a neat thing to think of when you're working with your kids that, you know, they're going to be the next coaches that you have yeah. coming through. Yeah. So. I'd be remiss if we didn't touch on a couple of things that you have out there. Um, you, you know, we ran through the Cliff Notes version, but you're an author as well. Yeah, written a few things. <laughs> yes. So let's talk about the books. Because, sure. I mean, we have one. I'm the biggest pusher when it comes to continuing education material, you know, obviously, um, with what we're doing now. Um, yeah, right on. <laughs> and then the manual and our seminar. So let's talk about those here uh, to kind of bring this all together. Right. Well, so yeah, probably. So in the last, oh, I guess five, six years, um, had three books come out. So one um, was actually a edited book for the NSCA. So it was uh, Developing Agility and Quickness. So really, really great text. Um, word on the street is, is probably here within the next year. We're going to be doing the second edition of that. Um, going back in, cleaning a few things up. Bad thing is, like, anytime you write a book, by the time it gets published, you look at what you wrote. I'm like, oh, God, I wouldn't do that now. And <laughs> so, you know, and I think that's a good thing. Hopefully, you know, we keep evolving and adjusting and adapting, going, oh, yeah, that could have been better. So, you know, I'm really excited about, you know, the next uh, rendition of that and all the updates and things that we'll get to make. Um, but then, you know, was fortunate enough about, I guess it was two years ago, got to do a book with a good friend of mine, John Sissick. 
on uh, maximal interval training. And uh, it was really kind of interesting. So originally the book was supposed to be titled High Intensity Interval Training. And of course, like on the academic side of me, you know, the, the little the PhD dude over here going, well, technically it's not high intensity. It's more, you know, different styles because, you know, it didn't fit a certain threshold. And, you know, so HK goes, well, what about maximal interval training? I'm like, yeah, that sounds good. <laughs> so anyway, but it, it's a really good book. You know, the, the thing that w I enjoyed is, you know, first getting to work with John, like the guy's a consummate professional and, you know, getting to, you know, kind of amalgamate what I do and what he does and, you know, learn from each other is a great part of that process. But, um, but it was really cool. Like went in, you know, the first, um, the first chapters in it are, you know, here's the different modalities that you can utilize, some different ideas that you can integrate into your training programs. Um, but then toward the end, we actually get into a little bit of program design. So, you know, here's here's how all this fits into what we do and, you know, the process we go about doing it. And, you know, fortunately, kind of, and, and similarly, I got another book um, that's actually, I think, due, that's coming out this month on uh, suspension training. So it's uh, the Complete Guide to TRX Suspension Training. And, you know, similarly, you know, the upfront part of it is, you know, here's a couple, you know, 100 exercises or so that, you know, all the things that you can do that you can kind of sprinkle into your training program. But then at the end, we have some, you know, specific training programs that are just suspension training based, but then also more or less how we would really do it in practice with athletics. You know, so, you know, when we look at our, uh, like women's soccer team and softball team and things like that, you know, we're not doing, it, it's not all suspension training, obviously. Like, you know, we're gonna sprinkle that in to help complement the heavier weight work that we're doing. And, you know, to you know, work on some, you know, rehab, prehab type stuff and, you know, really make it in the context of a total strength conditioning program. So, you know, the fun thing about both those books is, you know, we've talked about, you know, here's certain types of training, but then how do you integrate that into an actual training program? So it's not just all interval training and all, you know, suspension training, but, you know, how does this culminate to get the best results? No, highly practical stuff. You know, I mean, if there's people that are looking for something to get them out of a rut or to add to their program or maybe give their kids a little variety and then, you know, not just looking at a how-to video basically on YouTube but want to know where they can fit it and how they can put it in. I mean, both of those are, are great examples of products that, you know, coaches out there that maybe, you know, maybe salt and pepper isn't just quite enough, you know, maybe you need something different on your steak. So it's, there are a couple of things that I would definitely check out. Yeah, and I think, you know, it's really cool. Like, I got a good buddy who uh, is out of Bond University in Australia, Rob Orr, and he, he kind of has a philosophy. He said, you know, we're going to teach you how to think, not what to think. And I think that's the thing that I've really liked about these books is, you know, we're going to give you some sample programming, but it's more or less like, hey, you know, the, the professionals that are reading it is like, you you got the tools. It's just maybe this will help you think about certain things in a little bit different way that's going to help complement your program and, you know, make, make your athletes and the, you know, the, you know, general population people you work with better yeah no 100 percent. and that's i think that's a fantastic spot to leave it at if uh if you haven't had a chance to check them out guys please do so we'll we'll link them underneath here on amazon so you guys can go grab a copy of those jay thank you so much for being on with us today man this is some absolutely awesome stuff and it's uh i'm really excited to get this going and get this posted up here here in a week or so Awesome, Jay. Hey, it was a pleasure. Really appreciate asking. So, Yeah, man. Well, thank you so much, and we will be in touch real soon, my friend. All right. Sounds good. Take awesome. care. You too. And a huge thanks again to University of Colorado, Colorado Springs, Dr. Jay Dawes for taking the time to sit down with us today. I mean, guys, just looking at that and, and how the whole thing kind of ties together and how the impact of working with the, the tactical athletes in Corpus Christi kind of 
brought it all the way full circle and, and really impacted how we look to the student athletes now, I think is really, really cool. Um, you know, because a lot of people go in that realm. You know, they, they've gone to the military or the police or the fire, whatever it may be, and then they bounce back into college athletics and vice versa. So to, to hear and see the similarities is, is absolutely awesome to me. I, I really enjoyed that. And as always, guys, if you enjoyed the talk, please share it through the social media outlet of your choice, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, whatever it may be. Share away. If you haven't hit the like or the subscription buttons on YouTube, Podomatic, or iTunes, go ahead and hit those guys. Uh, again, we're just trying to get great information out to great coaches. So please, if you did enjoy it, share it through the social media outlet of your choice. And guys, we will be back next week with another awesome guest. We will see you then.